This is the Pool Together Community Podcast. Pool Together is the world's number one no-loss prize savings account. You can visit pooltogether.com to deposit. You're listening to the Pool Together Community Podcast. I'm your host, Hot Mike, a.k.a. Tim, a.k.a. Smells Like Teen Spirit. And I'm here with Loitering Sean from the Pool Together Community. Sean, thanks for making time for us on this wonderful Wednesday. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Excited to be <laughs> coming to us from the Great White North of of Canada, and uh, it, it is it is snowing today. So you know, play. It's it's almost May, Sean. When does it stop snowing for you? Hopefully today. <laughs> <laughs> okay, today could be the last day of snow. That's great. <laughs> I mean, it, it was, it's it's crazy. I, we, and Canadians Canadians, I think, generally just have a very short memory when it comes to weather because. It was beautiful two days ago. And we're like, oh, it's so amazing. The weather's so nice. And then it gets this and we're like, oh, it's miserable. And then it'll get nice again tomorrow. And then we'll be like, oh, it's so amazing. The weather's so great. So, Do people in your area wear shorts, like no matter what, until it's like um, you could lose limbs? Is that a thing? No. Okay. I have worn shorts out in the freezing cold when I'm like taking up the trash or something. Yeah. But like not, uh, not, not for like an everyday interaction. Right. I want to create new stereotypes today on, on this uh, podcast, new Canadian stereotypes. Do you have, um, when I, I, I got to spend some time in Alaska or the ska, as I call it, um, just like I got to spend time in Vancouver, which I call it the Coves. And, uh, do you have, uh, do your cars have plugs in the front of them where you can like plug them in to heat them up? Is that a thing for you? So, so it's not a thing for me, but it is a thing in a lovely town called Winnipeg. Oh. Um, and generally in the, in the Canadian prairies, it gets so cold that, uh, if you don't plug in your car, that it won't start. Uh, oh. and literally in like downtown Winnipeg, uh, I, my family is originally from Winnipeg. I'm, I don't go a lot, but, uh, um, I have a love hate relationship with Winnipeg, <laughs> um, ah. but, uh, but, but in downtown Winnipeg, the parking meters all have plugs in them so that you can plug your car in to make sure that it'll start after you leave whatever you're doing downtown. And then if you have a Tesla, it'll, it'll charge it. That's great. That's so good. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a regular power plug, so it's not like the superchargers. So, you know, it'll, you can charge it over the course of like five days. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. And now do you have a love, hate relationship with Winnipeg because of hockey? Oh, okay. <laughs> no, oh, okay. <laughs> I, have a love, I have a love, hate relationship with Winnipeg because in the winter it's, it is colder than any place I've ever been. And in the summers, it's muggier and more humid than any place I've ever been. So, uh, um, uh, we got chat yeah. going on. People are freaking out about Alaska right now. Um, and the question for me is, have I been to the Salty Go Dog? And da boom, no, I didn't go to the Salty Dog because I was like, that place is totally a tourist trap. And da boom went and put a dollar on the wall there. I was recently in a place uh, that had a $20 bill on the wall. And I'm like, that's pretty gutsy. Like somebody could just snatch that, but it had a lot of tape on it. So, um, anyway, but that's well, the yeah, chat. We have to, I have not been to Alaska, nor have I been to Northern Canada, but, uh, there's a, there's a place called Dawson city in, mm -hmm. uh, which is like as north as you get, I think it's in, uh, in Yellowknife, but it might be in the Northwest territories. So I apologize to anyone who's up there, but, <laughs> uh, they have, they have a bar and the tradition is, uh, they have a, a toe, a severed toe that, uh, that they have preserved in salt. And you're supposed to take a shot and they throw the toe in and you kiss the toe while you do a shot. So you, know, you can go do that. <laughs> you're, you're not serious. Like you kiss the actual uh, toe. And go Google it. It's a real thing. And, and, and you'd like take the toe out of the salt or what? The toe's sticking yeah, out yeah, of the, the salt? The toe, the toe is, it, 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 this toe is sitting in like a jar with like, that's covered in salt. And then you order the drink. They take the toe out. They drop it in the drink. You, uh, you, you do your shot, you kiss the toe and then, uh, they put it back in they the, uh, and they put it back they, in the salt and preserve they it. Dr they drop the severed toe in your drink. Yeah. I've never seen silence of the lambs, but is everybody like the guy that goes, hello, Clarice, Clarice or something like that. <laughs> that's like serial. That's like, I I've never heard of that before. And my faith in humanity has plummeted. That is incredible. Wow. Well, I mean. It, it, in, in like, so the legend goes, at least as far as I'm familiar with the legend goes, because yeah. I've never been there, so I haven't done it. Yeah. 
But right. the legend is that it's not a toe that was chopped off. It was a toe that actually fell off due to frostbite. I mean, I kind of uh, figured that actually, but like, so it is a real toe. It, it can't be a real toe. It can't be a real toe. It's a, re- it's a, it's a real, honest to goodness, human toe. So I myself have kissed the Blarney Stone, and I feel like it's a similar thing where you go to kiss the Blar- Blarney Stone for like in Ireland for like, you know, eloquence or something. But apparently people pee on the Blarney Stone because everybody kisses it. So not as gross, I think. What would you rather do? Would you rather kiss the toe or kiss the Blarney Stone? Um, so I've actually been to the Blarney Stone. I don't remember if I kissed it or not, but I would, oh, okay. I, I, would I would rather kiss the toe. I mean, it's, it's, okay. it's a legend, man. You got yeah. if you go, you got to go to Dawson City to kiss the toe. Okay. All right. Maybe we can do a pull together retreat there. This, this <laughs> podcast is off to an awesome start. This is rich. So Sean, uh, Sean, I want to hear your origin story. I would love to hear just, um, about you and like, how'd you get into, how'd you find pull together? Did Pool Together find you? What's your background? Uh, just give me kind of like the elevator pitch for for Sean, for loitering Sean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My name is Sean. Um, I'm not really anonymous. I used to be my my, my alias was Loitering Gorilla, and then uh, I guess it was on a community podcast where someone where I was like, I'll just be Sean. And some I think it was Andy Coffin. It was like, uh, no, uh, no, you should be Loitering Sean. I'm like, okay, I'll go with that. <laughs> but uh but my name is sean i'm from toronto born and raised um my my origin story was once upon a time my mom met my dad and they fell in love and got married and then uh, decided but... to have children but uh but no so um 16 almost 17 years ago after i graduated university um i uh i started an advertising agency with my two brothers uh and we were a you know, it was really interesting because it was about 2006, 2005, 2006, and it was the beginning of this social media revolution. And I remember at the time, all of the conversation was, hey, people are having PDRs and they're going to fast forward commercials. What's advertising going to do? And that was the environment that we said, wow, there's this disruptive, there's all these disruptive technologies and there's new places that there's places where you can have one-to-one interactions and then continue these conversations online. Really be helpful to help brands uh, have those conversations and, and, and realize this new space. And, um, and we were able to convince somehow some pretty big brands up here in Canada that, uh, we were worth a bet on. And we ran some campaigns early on that were extremely successful, uh, that allowed us to build some really strong and fundamental relationships and grow, uh, an agency across the country, across the country here. And then ultimately slow like expanding the us a couple times but we're a primary lead canadian agency and uh fast forward 16 years later we've grown to be kind of one of the larger independent uh agencies in canada we've worked with almost with every major kind of like traditional brand at least in some respects um on some level uh and uh and we've got a huge uh a huge uh a huge and great team and a huge glowing client client base and, uh, and I've kind of said, you know, after 16 years, I've said, you know, this is great. And we've got an amazing operational team that's, that's kind of running the day to day. It's time to, uh, to start exploring the next iteration of what, uh, of what social media was back in 2006. So I started, uh, I guess I would say, I think it was three years ago. I think I I wrote it in the, in the, in the, in the newsletter, but three years ago, I started dipping my toe into like crypto and DeFi, uh, three or four years ago. And, uh, I had a friend who was, uh, who was really connected to the Ethereum development team. Cause you know, Vitalik is from Toronto and, uh, uh and, uh, and you know, the, the consensus, there's a, a lot of the consensus guys were here and he was saying like, buy ETH, buy ETH, you gotta buy ETH, you gotta buy ETH. And I was just like, I, I don't know, there's so much risk and I don't know what's happening. But like, I started learning about the space and, and seeing what the potential was, but I never bought ETH or at least in a massive scale. And that was the biggest regret of my life because instead of, <laughs> I, I, I'd be on my private jet right now <laughs> had I done that. But, um, but, uh, after kind of that, that, that kind of ETH Bitcoin rise and then crash, I went back to focusing on the business for a while. And then when DeFi started hitting, I started to see new potentials in, uh, new potentials in kind of web three and get really excited about it. And so I started digging a lot deeper into what, uh, what is web three and what could it mean for the future? And what I found really started to blow my mind 
in terms of kind of the convergence of the metaverse with cryptocurrencies, with NFTs to create new forms of business models, new, new, new methods of community building and compensation and new ways of marketing communication. And I got really excited and I said, well, I, I really want to learn more and I'm much more, you know, it's great to sit and read, uh, information and, and read, um, things from that other people have said, but the best way to learn is by doing. And so I started digging deep into like, what are some of the most exciting use cases in kind of the crypto web three space right now? And, uh, and that's when I found pool together. I saw an article somewhere talking about prize link savings and, um, one of my major, one of my major clients that I spent a long, large part of my career working with was a bank. Uh, and so I was, I got introduced to the concept of, uh, of prize league savings, uh, through, through them and start to understand their potential, even though they're not really big here. And so I saw pool together and I'm like, geez, this is a, this is a concept that could rule the world. Like people love, people love the idea of winning and especially winning big amounts of money with no, <laughs> with, with no risk to their initial capital. You know, we can really do some good for people who are unbanked and for people who don't know how to save and don't understand the concept of saving. Um, there's, there's a ton of potential here. So I kind of put up my hand, I guess back in November and I'm like, Hey guys, this is pretty cool. How can I help? And right away, uh, right away, the community was, was super welcoming and super, super open, gave me some pool tokens just because I said hi, and, uh, and, and then said, you know, Hey, we're, we're trying to launch this marketing working group. Maybe you can help with that. And that started my journey down pool together. Well, that's that that quite, the, that's, yeah, that's quite the origin <laughs> story. Um, and so how, how has it been with the marketing? Like how is, how is, uh, you know, you started a marketing agency. It went, it went boom. It went, it went big time. You landed some I'm great, of, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, first of all, before we get into like, how's it been with the DAT with full together in the marketing, like, can you, can you give me like a, a campaign, like a fave campaign that you've done? Like, like what's oh, the Canadian the, the version campaign. of like the Budweiser frogs? The the best campaign that we've ever done was for a bank called TD Bank. If you're in, uh, if you're in the Eastern Seaboard of the U.S., you you might be familiar with it. They're big in kind of I am. New England, New York, and down in yep. Florida. They're big across Canada. Um, and so we launched a campaign called TD Thanks You. Uh, there's been multiple iterations of it since, but the concept was that uh, they said, you know, how can we leverage the power of uh, of of you know media and social media to get people excited about what a bank can be. I will tell you, everybody hates banks. It doesn't matter what type of bank and what country you're in. Everybody hates banks. And so we came up with this concept of saying, well, what about if people, everyday people would go to an ATM uh, or an automated teller machine or automat or it's used in multiple different languages. And the ATM, instead of uh, giving them money, it spoke to them and it knew that, and it knew about them on a personal level and then gave them something as a thank you for being a customer of the bank. Uh, and so we worked with branches all across, uh, all across Canada. We asked branch managers and he said, tell us, you know, the stories of customers who need the most, who have the most compelling stories or need the most things. And we got some, some really, really awesome stories of people who were just like, you know, a single mom who was, who was putting her kids through, uh, putting her kids through school and couldn't afford to take them on vacation. We had another story of another, of another mother who was, uh, his daughter had cancer in, in Trinidad and Tobago and she was working here and supporting her. And so we, we told them, we're like, Hey, we're, um, we're creating, we're, we're, we have this new ATM concept and we want you to come in and test it. And they came in and didn't know anything else about it. And then we gifted them a whole bunch of things. So we sent the mother and her kids to Disneyland. We sent the, we sent, we sent the, uh, lady back to, uh, back to Trinidad to take care for her daughter. And we did a bunch of other things like that. And put it together into a two and a half, three minute video that went insanely viral. I mean, now viral is a different term. Now, now, like when I say, you know, we had a, an advertising brand, brand uh, video about a bank that got 20 or 30 million views, that sounds like nothing. But at the time that was unprecedented and we had, you know, it, it was, it's definitely the thing I'm the most proud of it. It's I've never seen, it's really, you see the power of communications when you get, when you start to hit scale like that. Uh, just by telling a story and doing it all organically. That's great. That's sweet. Um, and you said it did multiple iterations. Well, yeah. So, I mean, it was so successful that we've been doing it every year since we launched it. Uh, oh, and we've okay. kind of evolved it and changed it and moved it into more of a, 
a paid uh, paid media environment, but uh, uh-huh. the concept is still the same. Uh, instead of a bank telling you how to save your money or how to optimize your money or how to do things better, just just say thank you. And people really resonate with being appreciated for being who they are and for giving you their business. That's great. Yeah, my buddy did uh, was uh, in the in the U.S. was an actor and he got like a, a big campaign where he was the banking. It was named Bart. It was like the banking automated response, you know, and he came from big banks and then he started working at TD Bank. And then he was like, they were trying to teach him how to be human because he came from the big banks. And I was really pumped for him because I thought he was going to be like the next flow for like progressive or something insurance, but it did. They canceled it, but, but it was very cool. And the whole point, and then I learned that I can get free pens at TD Bank in the US. So if I ever need a pen, I could just walk into TD Bank and they'll give me one. It's very sweet. You can, you can also, you can also sort your pennies for free. They all have yes, free change cash machines. machines. Yeah, yeah. Those things are massive. Yeah. That's really that, cool. That was, a, that was a TD Bank US innovation that got, that got spread all across the country. And, and they actually, when they filmed the, um, commercial, they, they cared so much about their customers that they created like a little tram that would take them to the net, the, the closest TD bank location that wasn't filming. So they even like thought it was just so impressive to me that they just like created the system so that people wouldn't be inconvenienced and they could still bank in downtown Manhattan or midtown Manhattan. It was just like very cool. Anyway, this is not about TD Bank. This is about this is about you, Sean, but that's that's really great to hear. How was your marketing experience been at uh at Pool Together working in the in in a nascent DAO structure, working with uh, you know, in an inaccessible platform which is crypt- cryptocurrency? Um, how's it been? How you doing? Uh, well, so I would say that immediately, you know, I've, all my life, I have heard everybody in every new industry that we've always entered, people always say, well, my industry is different. When we started working, when we started working with, uh, with technology companies to be like, well, technology is different than financial. When we started working with CPG, consumer packaged goods companies, they'd be like, well, CPG is different than, uh, TPG is different than, than, uh, than, than, than technology. When we started working with, uh, with, with, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of all, all the examples. We started working with like, uh, retailers, they'd say, well, retail is different, but the truth is, and I always say marketing is marketing and you're all, all you're trying to do is get to a human insight and then build compelling messages around that human insight. And so when I got to, uh, when I, when, when I started here, I'm like, well, marketing is marketing. So you just need to understand who we're talking about, understand what drives them, what motivates them, get to that human insight, uh, that, that can allow us to see what, what is their unrecognized needs. If you talk about, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, and then, and then start to build messaging around them and target them in the most effective way. And immediately everybody was like, well, web three is different. Web three is different. And web three is different <laughs> in a lot of different ways. And it really took a long time to learn that even though that fundamental thing is accurate, you still need to know who your customer is and why they act the way they act. And what is that underlying human insight that's going to drive them to take an action? the tools that your toolkit, the tools in your toolkit to A, find that out and B, communicate with them are very, very different. So like in the world of, of, of traditional marketing, data is a massive, massive thing these days. And, you know, everything that you do is tracked either via cookies or by database interactions and the leader kind of leading platforms, Facebook, Google, uh, Amazon, they have so much data that they offer brands the ability to target and micro-target once you start to understand who your consumers are. But in crypto, you don't know who your consumer is because people use your product with a wallet, not with a sign. And in crypto, if you start to capture data about people, they're hypersensitive about it. And so understanding the sensitivities around data and how to build those personas and work with those people to get that uh, to get to the to the right target groups and the right ideas is a very, very different challenge. Although the action is the same, the method to get there is very, very different. And then Web3 as well is super community oriented. So like, you know, in traditional business world, you deal, you deal in, in hierarchies. There's, you know, a chief executive officer who has a chief marketing officer that builds a strategy and accountable for, and accountable for their, for their results. And then they hire people that can execute against that strategy. And those teams hire agencies that, that can help, uh, help execute against, uh, help you against that vision. But in a DAO structure, 
there isn't that accountability and let alone there isn't necessarily that expertise that you're, that everyone's like, this is that one person who knows everything and is going to be accountable to everything. And so everything needs to be, uh, needs to be shared with the community and everyone's community and everyone's inputs are not only valued, but they're important because they've come from such a diverse set of skill sets and experiences. And so it's great to hear perspectives from engineering, from sales, from customer service, from community management, and they all have, uh, they all have impact on how you can build things and what you can do. And it slows you down uh, a little bit. You can't operate as fast necessarily, but it's, it definitely increases the quality of the product that you can start to start to produce as you start to deliver messages. So what you just said, get, got me off on a tangent. Um, thank you, ADHD or ADD, whatever. Uh, but, uh, but I, I was talking to a political somebody who did political campaigns and they speaking of data they 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 would like and this is before the cambridge analytica stuff uh that happened uh where they would just get user data from facebook and they would find that uh people who like kitkat and nike on facebook had an overwhelming tendency to support to back a certain political candidate and so what they would do is they would target everyone who didn't back that political candidate, <laughs> but who liked KitKat and Nikes, and they would just throw money at it and they would convert those people because for some reason, from for some in, inexplicable reason, there was this correlation. And so there's this current debate about like free speech and then like, uh, and I totally understand that about like on Twitter and Elon acquiring Twitter and free speech and all that. But there is this like manipulative advertising through data that I feel like people are still trying to explain um, that can get us down roads that are like, you know, craziness. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or if you can explain how you exploited that, Sean. Uh, did you work with Cambridge Analytica? Will not, and I never would. <laughs> um, in my world, in my world, uh, the key thing that we focus on, uh, there's a lot of tangents to go down, Tim. You asked a very world, a very wide range of questions. But from the traditional marketing perspective, the focus is, at least for the brands that I've worked with, um, the focus is not about trying to be nefarious or, or trying to convince someone to do something that they don't want to do. The, the objective is to identify people who have a propensity to be interested in what you're saying. And then make sure that your message is only seen by those people and not people who aren't interested in what you have to say. And, and it's not necessarily saying, Hey, I'm trying to convince someone to buy a Kit Kat when they're not interested in a chocolate bar. It's trying to say, Hey, if someone's going to buy a Kit Kat or a Snickers, I prefer them to have a, to have a Kit Kat. But all of it is centered around what's called first party data. So everything that you, that, that happened at least in Canada is a little bit different than the States. The States actually has much more lax states, at least from my experience, has the most relaxed data laws in the world. Um, definitely, uh, at least like, you know, I, I'm familiar with Europe and Canada and the states and the states is definitely the most relaxed uh, relative to, to all of Europe and Canada and the states. Um, but, and so in Canada, it's, so the US, you can get a lot more data more freely and there are bigger data aggregators that uh, drop cookies through apps and information and, and, and do things a bit more nefariously, which is, you know, part of why crypto is so important and why it's really important for people to not only control their data, but control who gets access to it and where and why, and why, you know, blockchains and, and wallets become even more important. But, um, but it becomes around first party data and saying, okay, so if you are already buying my computer, what else can I know about you? And what other products might you be interested in? Because I already know that you have this computer and I already know that you like cars. Well, maybe you'd be interested in this racing simulator. Uh, and, and so it's, and so it's, it's gathering and, and there's so many interactions that happen already in a first party environment that brands that the brands that I've been working with are trying to gather those first party data interactions. So it's people who are already coming and engaging with you to make sure they can track and optimize and best service their customers. Um, but, uh, but data is certainly a, um, data is certainly a, uh, a, a big challenge and a big, and a big issue because the biggest thing is that people don't understand that every time that they engage digitally, they create a data footprint and that data footprint is captured by somebody 
and you are getting compensated for it. And, you know, I saw there's tweets about Elon buying Twitter where it's like, Elon Musk just paid $44 billion for your data and you got $0 for it. And like, that's a true statement, right? So it's, it just comes back to the value and the value proposition of Web3 and who owns data and why. Apparently I'm thinking, I'm, I'm hearing that there's, there's some like shorting of Tesla right now because he bought a lot of it, like half of it on margin on Tesla. So if you, if you, if you tank Tesla, then he has to do something else or I don't know. I think that's funny, but, uh, but no, I, I totally get that. How do you do marketing in a dataless environment such as crypto or, I mean, there is data, right? There is stuff that you can get, but it is, it is, um, there, there, I, I feel like you have to go dataless or you have to zig when everyone else, when, when like traditional marketing does the data thing, you just kind of have to do what, what did they do before they had Cambridge Analytica before there was all this stuff? Uh, do you see any analogs I mean, to crypto in, in your other work where you're like, actually, it's really similar to skeet shooting, like skeet shooting is really the crypto world. So we need to take a, a play out of the skeet shooters marketing playbook. I really yeah, am into so, skeet shooting. I, I'm into hockey, Tim. I'm always into hockey. <laughs> so give me hockey references. <laughs> um, but uh, so what I what, what I would say is that so let's start before social media and the idea of data be, your data footprint being present every time you engage online and sometimes even when you don't engage online. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll digress quickly because it's important to know like there's there's things called beacons. That, uh, that that stores, that retail stores can put in place uh, that sit and try to scan for your, every time your phone tries to connect to the, to a Wi-Fi, it grabs Wi-Fi networks. You know, if you, look, if you open up your Wi-Fi thing, it's like connect to this Wi-Fi network and it shows you all the Wi-Fi networks that are there. Um, you're technically, your phone is sending out a signal consistently saying, um, saying, hey, what Wi-Fi information is here? And so people have created beacons to say, hey, every time a phone pings and asks me, let me count that as somebody who's walking by. And your phone has a unique identifier so that you can you can then marry networks of beacons to understand people's digital footprint in the physical world. Uh, and so it's not just for, it's not just your own digital activity that you choose to take. Sometimes your data is 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 being provided just by walking through the store. Yeah, um, like like places where they're doing a lot of this is like in uh, uh, sports stadiums or arenas. So like you might be waiting in line for the restroom, and so they can show you an ad like on displays specifically, or if or at an it, airport. It, 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 goes, it goes even more than that, right? So like there'll be there, there are providers that will put beacons in sports stadiums and then put beacons in WalMarts, and they'll be able to marry your unique Mac ID, so they won't know who you are, but they'll know that a phone went to a Raptors game, and then after the phone went to Walmart. And then they'll be able to, to cluster behaviors by saying, look, this many people went to this place and then went to this place after seeing X stimulus. And so it creates another level of data analysis to better, to better optimize messaging. Um, and so before all that existed, and, and to be honest, it, it, it's a scary proposition, but I will also preface to say we are now probably, I'd say, 10 years into the maturity of data. And... Um, most places are still really, really bad at it. <laughs> there is just too much data and it comes in too many different forms and sizes for them to truly be able to capture it, format it to the same place, analyze it, and then put actions on top of it. There, are, Everybody's trying, but it, it's not as prevalent as you think. Um, now, that being said, before uh, before kind of this, this data, this data persona-driven individualistic world uh, model, the previous model was what I call spray and pray. So you literally just try to find the most attended thing possible with the most amount of people. You create one type of advertisement that you normally would spend 500,000 to a million dollars creating. And then you blast it out to the, to that media. So, you know, this was back when like Seinfeld, I, I, I don't know the audience, if you remember, if the audience remembers Seinfeld, maybe I'm aging myself, but this is back when like Seinfeld was popular or the Super Bowl. Where like you buy an ad and you just blast it out and you hope that, you know, you're going to hit 200 million, 500 million people. And then a percentage of those people are going to comprehend what you're saying. And they're going come to come to your place and learn more about you. Um, the Web3 iteration that I see happening. And again, I don't know the answer because all of this is happening dynamically. And the, uh, but, but to me, the big difference in Web3 is that people are volunteer. People have control over what data they want to provide. So whereas in the web two world, Facebook has my data, Twitter has my data, Instagram has my data, 
and they can do whatever they want with it. I don't have any control to say, hey, I don't want these brands having access to my information, or I don't want these 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 specific people having access to my information. Um, but in in the Web three world, I get control of that data, so I get to say, hey, I'm interested in a prize savings account, and so anybody who's looking for a prize savings account, make sure that they know that I'm interested, so that they can send me some messages. And now all of a sudden, I'm in control, and I get to choose what I want to consume and where, and and I, and and I get to see things on my terms, and that to me is the biggest difference in. Web three versus uh, versus versus Web two, and how data is uh, is going to evolve and, and handle things. Yeah, I think there's important there's an important distinction here uh, between like we even within Web three, like when we say the term Web three, we're talking about the decentralized web. But when you're entering I'm crypto, I'm talking about talking blockchain. About, yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, if you're but but a lot of the normies, including yours truly. Get got involved with crypto primarily through centralized exchanges, primarily through you know uh, Coinbase is gonna is gonna is gonna be an onboarder to many people into crypto into the blockchain. Now you're buying and selling within the Coinbase pool of things, so you're like you're not. I don't think you're like truly on the blockchain or whatever. I don't know, uh, but you you can then go into Coinbase wallet and you can go purchase an NFT. But I think a lot of these and NFTs are very much helpful in onboarding normies into crypto because people want that whatever Justin Bieber just bought. They want something like that. You know, I talked to middle and high school students and they think that if they got an NFT, they're an instant millionaire and they want it. They want one, you know, but these people aren't the normies aren't necessarily, they're coming from uh, data hungry Facebook land where they don't care. Just don't charge me for it. Don't charge a subscription. Just take my data and show me ads. It's fine. To this web three nefarious world where scammers abound, um, phishing abounds, all this stuff. So there is like this, like, um, I feel there are, there's grades, there's levels to, most of these people don't use VPNs. Whereas like a lot of people in pool together community use VPNs, you know, like, so there, there, there are grades to this. I think, uh, I'm just not sure how to identify that. I don't, I don't know what you do with that. So I think it's important to re to recognize, uh, a couple things. First of all, we're in very, very early days. Like yes, blockchain and web three are technically, you know, 10, 15 years old, but we're talking about like, if you look at the, if you look at the, at, at even just the market cap of all cryptocurrencies, the majority of value that has been created in the web three space has occurred in the last three years. And it's not until you start to get lots of interest that you start to get protocols, uh, that you start to get protocols and applications that are built for end users to, to take control and, and have value over. So you're right. You know, um, you're right that like right now, if I want to listen to music, my best course of action is to listen to music on Spotify or Apple music or Amazon music, but I could also buy music NFTs and listen to those music NFTs. And right now the market, there are marketplaces that exist that I can buy that. And when I own those NFTs, nobody has access to my data about when I listen and how often I listen to, and it's, in, and I'm in control. Whereas if I listen on, on Amazon or Spotify or, or Apple music, they all have the, they, they have all the information on who I'm listening to, when, where, and why. And so. Um, as more people start to build, get into music NFTs, then the ecosystem to discover new music NFTs and the value propositions that are created around Spotify will start to be built and they'll be offered towards consumers in a, in a UX framework. Because really what you're talking about, at least what I think you're talking about, which is the biggest challenge of Web3 is it's just not easy for people to figure out. Like try talking to someone about the metaverse or, or blockchain or DeFi or cryptocurrencies. And they're all super interested. I think you and I, Tim, were having this conversation the other day. And like, after 15 minutes, they're just like, oh, this is way too much for me, man. I, I just want to go buy my NFT. But, you know, to get mass adoption, we have to get to that point. Yeah, for sure. I think, and the other thing is like the two, like, how do you shut down crypto? If you wanted to shut down crypto, what do you do? You do two things. You shut down Twitter and you shut down Discord. And suddenly crypto's got nothing. Like there's no, I mean, maybe Telegram, but like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not on Telegram. Like I feel like everybody kind of left Telegram because it's not easy. Like the tools that crypto uses, the tools that Web3 use 
are still centralized. Generally, I know we're getting there, but there are way in those services, Discord and Twitter, especially Twitter, you can still use that data hungry way to, to market to people still. So, but, but I do say as marketers, we're seeing it coming where more and more things are decentralized, more and more people are getting smarter about where, who holds their data and how it's being used. More and more people are learning about using VPNs and, and being able to use those. More and more people are learning about wallet security, which makes marketing in the data way, like in the, in the data hungry way, more difficult. But like, Sean, we also, I mean, you and I are really passionate, like we are, are metaverse curious, you know? And, and what's crazy about this is like, we have, we have kids who have grown up in the metaverse on Minecraft and in Roblox and on Fortnite. And these things aren't actually even connected to web three. They're, they're just, they're the metaverse, right? It is the metaverse, but now we're talking about, oh, the metaverse, it's all new and, uh, but it's like, no, these kids have been doing this since like, since like 10 years ago, like robot Roblox and Minecraft have been around for ages, but it's the metaverse. Yeah, but, but, but that's a great question though. Who's, who's going to control the metaverse? Who's going to own it? Is it right. going to be centralized corporations like Ro like Roblox, like Meta, like, um, like Minecraft, or is it going to be decentralized platforms and decentralized metaverses? Like you, you just, I, again, I'm, uh, you shared me yesterday that Bored Apes is creating a metaverse and they're going to yeah. do it in a decentralized way. So yeah. which, which, which version of the metaverse are we going to see? I don't know. That all depends on how well they build it and what value proposition the users are going to get. But I believe my, when my underlying, and, and also I'll take it back from a pool together uh, perspective. I think that pool together, because people are still in the centralized world and there's data available to us, we need to use that data as best we can as, until it disappears. Because pool together as a protocol, to me, should be a trillion dollar, a trillion dollar TVL. And it should be doing it sooner than later. Like, I think it's phenomenal what everyone has built. I am blown away by this community. There are so many talented and, and, and amazing people here, but we've got to like, we, we, we're blowing our shot by growing our TVL by, by millions. Like we got to be growing our TVL by tens of millions, by hundreds of millions. And we got to do it, start, start doing it sooner than later. And so using the tool, the, the, the web two toolkits while they exist, I don't see a problem with that. Um, but being, but being aware and ready and monitoring the new web three options that are going to come online. I think we need to, we need to, we need to be ready for that and, and think about that as well. Um, hey, and then, so when you say, sorry, I, diver I diverged away no, from no, metaverse no. back to pool together. No, but. we'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. But when you say trillion dollar pool together, trillion dollar TVL for pool together, that cannot be Sean, that cannot be through a prize savings account, right? Why when not? you say that you have dreams, there's gotta be visions of like, you know, you've got, like I say that Pool Together is really good at recruiting for Web3. Like we're really a good talent pool. I think that Pool Together could can harness innovation. I think we could do crypto startups. I think that would be awesome in that. I think there has to be a diversified portfolio of products for that trillion dollar TVL. Am I right or am I right? Come on. I mean, <laughs> you're right, but how big is premium bonds right now in the UK? I have absolutely no clue. It's, it's insanely massive. It's in the, it's in the hundreds of billions pool to, that's just in the UK and that's operating in an environment that is yielding interest rates that are historically low, like 0.5%, 1% interest rates. And they're, and they're, and they're, and they're turning that into a, into a pro and they're, and they're, uh, distributing massive, massive returns with billions of dollars locked in an environment that that's low. Pool together is looking at on stables, you know, two and a half to three and a half percent return. And that, and, and that yield is only going to increase as more and more people get interested in it. And as the opportunities to invest in fund, fund crypto and DeFi get bigger. So like, sure, no, no one builds a single skew empire, but the pro the, the, the value proposition on the protocol on this individual prize link savings account protocol alone for global people. Who don't right now understand the value of savings and don't and don't want don't want to say, hey, I got a hundred dollars, I can go put it in my bank and make a quarter of a penny every year, or I got a hundred dollars, I can go put it in a pool together and hopefully win a thousand dollars a day. <laughs> I don't see why how people don't like that 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 often. So you said two two to three percent on pool together. Where'd you get that? 
Uh, that is my understanding of what pool together is yielding through the treasury working group and its management of its status. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying, but you're not, are you, you're not talking about users, like somebody who's a depositor. No, 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 no. Get... I'm, I'm saying that I'm saying that I'm saying that prize league savings is earning 0.5% to 1% and Got they're it. distributing prize, prize, prize packages in the millions, in the millions of pounds. Got and it. Pool together, although it has a lower TVL, yeah. is able to generate a much bigger prize pool with a lesser amount. So the pool together could match premium bonds and their TVL, pool together would be able to give two to three times more in prizes and dollars than premium bonds. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. So back to the metaverse. Uh, what are you excited about? What are you, what are you seeing? What are your, what are your, um, what are your thoughts on the power of metaverse for marketing for, uh, even traditional brands, but just generally, uh, what, what's, how can we harness the power of the metaverse show? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's, that's a trillion, that's a billion dollar question. That's what every brand on the planet right now is sitting there asking themselves because they're like, look, what is the metaverse? First of all, right? Like is the metaverse virtual reality worlds or are there augmented reality worlds or are we in the metaverse right now, Tim, doing this podcast? Um, and, and, you know, the answer, at least the answer that I think is that the metaverse exists on a continuum and on one side of the continuum is the Zoom calls that exist that you have with your coworkers and colleagues at work. And on the other side are these decentralized virtual spaces that can be accessed by either augmented reality, uh, by, by either augmented reality or just by computer screen uh, that essentially exist as a continual website. So instead of clicking on links and moving to different places, you walk between different places and you can interact with everyone else who's consuming that content at the same time, which and that which enables much greater levels of community, much greater levels of peer-to-peer -peer conversation, and much greater levels of, uh, of potential value add to bring people from all over the world who have similar interests to congregate around specific things. Um, and, the, and so like, I think the opportunities in the metaverse are, are vast, and, but I think truly that the metaverse is, is transformational from a media perspective. And I think that eventually all uh, you know, when, uh, again, depending on what you define as the metaverse, but eventually all media will be consumed by the metaverse, which means it's a fundamental game changer on how to communicate with people. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree. I think that I think that the metaverse is phone face. Like you go, you, you get on the on the subway and everybody's in their phones. Like you get on an elevator, you reach for your phone. At least I do because I have a problem because I'm addicted. But you got a watch on, you got your Apple watch and you look at your pings and you, you know, there's, there's, I think that's the gateway, uh, especially when I talk with students, like they're using Snapchat, like that's, they, they do these, it's like it, that, that is the metaverse. It's not, like, it's like not real reality that you're in. Uh, so I do think that like social media marketing is, is basically that stuff it's in the metaverse, but yeah, I mean, more and more of our time is going to be in, in this stuff. Um, and then we have in the Discord chat, we've got AR versus VR versus XR, which I have no clue what, what XR is, Talis guy. If you could let me know. Just cross yeah, I've never heard reality. of um, XR either. Cross but I will reality? say in terms no, of <laughs> But I will say in terms of VR, I think that VR has a fundamental problem. And I actually heard this from a podcast that I was listening to with Chris Dixon, which is there are only two companies that have the ability to produce VR headsets. Facebook, Oculus, and Samsung. There is no way you're going to drive innovation at a scale that is necessary for user adoption when you only have two companies that can control the means of creation for something as game-changing as, as VR. Uh, um, but, uh, but, but yes, I'm very curious what XR is. I haven't heard it, and I love to learn new things all the time. Yeah, that's what I thought. It's just that it's combining the two. It's like when you, when you want, and this is what an Oculus does or whatever, a meta, now it's called a meta rift. Um, but you, when you're wearing the Oculus, you can switch out and like, see what you're looking at. Like you can make the, so it's just going in between like augmented reality and virtual reality. But I, I love Oculus. There's this wow factor to be able to use it in like the immersiveness. I played this game called super hot, which I loved on the computer, but in VR, it is mind blowing. It is just incredible to the point when, when I take the mask off or the headset off, I like duck because I'm scared of reality is going to move fat. If you've ever played super hot, it's like bullet time puzzler. It's really fun, but it's so good. But the thing is, as I have an Oculus at home, I have one right here. Somebody let, let me borrow it. 
and I haven't taken it out in weeks. There's like this barrier to entry. There's this friction with the Oculus. There's not like a killer app for me because I, I super hot's great, but I'm not going into it. But the same thing with Metaverse, like the only reason I'm in the Metaverse is to play ice poker right now. I go to Decentraland and I play ice poker because I love, I freaking love poker. And I also don't want to lose my money to gambling or to, well, poker's a game of skill, whatever. So, so I play ice poker and it's really fun, but there's not a lot right now to me that's pulling me into the metaverse, but brands have this FOMO, like Bud Light's gotta be in the metaverse. American Eagle's gotta be in the metaverse. All these brands are just, they have to be there, but they have no clue what they want. They, it's like a website, like back, like we have to have a website. We have no clue what we want to do with it, but we just know we have to have it for like, you know, for the investors to know that we're innovative or something. So what so do you do I'll, in the metaverse is a big brand. I'll flip that on a chat. I don't, I agree with you. They have no idea what they're doing, but their motivation is 100% not, we need to do it so that we can tell investors we're in the metaverse. They need to do it because at least this is my pitch to them. Because I, I would like to help big, I would like, love to help big, bring big brands into the metaverse. My pitch to them is this is a fundamentally the evolution of media. And you have, if you're going to participate in media, once it actually changes, then you've got to be able then you, to, to develop an understanding, the muscle to communicate with people in that world. You've got to be part of it to be learning along with us because everybody's fucking, excuse my language, everybody's learning right now. Like we're all figuring it out. Even the trillion dollar, even the, the billion dollar valued companies, we're all figuring it out together. And if you just sit on the sidelines and wait for it to mature, then anyone else who's a native to it is going to figure it out and be way better at, at communicating through it than you are for a very long time until you build that muscle. So it's a relatively low cost now. And yeah, you're not going to derive a ton of business value from it today, but the business value that you're going to, that you're going to derive from being there today when your competitors aren't are going to more than pay for itself in five to seven to 10 to 10 years to even maybe even two years when maturity hits and we start to, and we start to see uh, centralization around key concepts, whether it's a centralized metaverse or a decentralized metaverse between platforms, between wallets, between all of these things. If you don't understand that now and you don't understand how to, how to work with people, you're screwed. Like you're like, you know, yeah. like it's, 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 it's I don't know if, I don't know if you, if the guy Kawasaki is, is a great uh, venture capitalist who shares a lot of stuff and he's like, Western Union, like why did why did PayPal exist? Western Union should have been PayPal, but why why was it not? Because Western Union didn't think that the internet could act as a medium for transferring funds, and that's the same thing. You don't know what you don't know until you're in it. Yeah, and maybe this is why I don't know. Maybe this is why I'm I'm I I'm such a hipster or whatever. Like I just I don't like to like things when everybody likes them. So like. There's this show called Severance that everybody says I need to watch or some something like that. I'm not going to watch it because everybody's already like into it and they say it's awesome. It's too late. It's too late. I'm not going to go watch it. But the same thing is like I'm in crypto and I love that like in Web3, it's like this black box. It's like this like no one knows what's going on. There's a lot of FOMO and I'm in it. Right. So I'm like, I feel all, all cool. But as soon as like Bud Light or whatever, these big brands come in, I'm like, really? Like, really, Justin Bieber, can you just not can you just leave the board apes alone? Like, can you, and I understand there's this, like, we want, we want, we want big money. We want the brands to come in because it pumps our bags, right? We want, we want this adoption. We want, so yes, I want adoption, but I want adoption in like a not gross way. And I feel like big brands for me are like gross or something. And I shouldn't be saying this as a marketer, but that's how I feel. Like, that's what I feel. Oh, that's, that's, and that's... so it's like, and so I want like big brands. This is how I want big brands to approach it. I want big brands to 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 see how it fits them through like having I don't know influencers or whatever like do the research and like like come to it in a in a way that's like revolutionary and it's like of course that's what you're doing rather than we're gonna build a bar in Decentraland and you can get a free shirt, which I feel like is phoning it in. And so I feel like you yeah maybe I'm just putting too much pressure. And, uh, and you're totally right. And just, no, just try stuff, experiment, mess around as a big brand and see what you can do. Go ahead. Yeah. So, uh, so my response to that is, I think you're bang on, right? Like think about like, so you talk about brands being in places that they're, that they're, not, that, that they're not supposed to be or not welcome, but like, think again, think about in the world of web tooth. If I were to tell you that like, you know, um, GoPro spends a ton of money advertising around extreme sports would you be like screw gopro they're this big company what the hell are they doing advertising around extreme sports or would you say no gopro found their niche 
and how to communicate people with authentically to get people excited about buying GoPros and then recording themselves using, doing experience sports using GoPros. Um, and, and as a result, they've, they've amassed a mass audience that do that and created communities around that. And, but if they, but they didn't start doing that, they started with traditional advertising. They started in a bunch of different places. They tried a bunch of things. Not a lot of people saw it because like, why would they? Um, but the thing that started to hit and they started to lean into, that's when they started to get an audience and they started to get known for it and they started to become native to it. And so like, yeah, you can build a bar in, in the central end and offer people a place to hang out and free shirts. But I guarantee you, I mean, have you been to the bar? It's Coors Light or Bud Light or... No, um, I refuse um, to go, Sean. I'm not going there. I'm not... I, right. I, that's and, and, how many other, and, and how many other how many other people like you are not going? Probably most, I would say. And so the key is that's valuable learning for the brand because it's saying, I shouldn't be doing this. I need to figure out another way in. But if you don't start, if you don't try doing something, then you're not going to know what, what, what's going to work. Wait, are you telling me I'm still an early adopter? If I go to the bar, I'm going to go there right now. Never mind. I'm back in. No, but like, like with your GoPro. If we send yeah. everyone to the bar, if we send everyone to the bar, then they're just going to keep building more bars. That's right. <laughs> but the thing with GoPro is GoPro fits the extreme sports because that's what you use a GoPro for. But if like McDonald's did extreme sports, I would think it'd be, le- it'd be a, a, a dissonance there. But maybe not. I don't know. You can find a fit. You could probably no, no, that, find that's- that's exactly my point. If McDonald's went to extreme sports, then people wouldn't follow it. They wouldn't pay attention to it. And McDonald's would realize, hey, there's not, there's not room for me in extreme sports. So I'm going to exit and I'm going to move and I'm going to focus on something else that's going to be worthwhile for me. Right? Like there's, uh, it, it, it's all about testing and feel like, I, like there's a, there's a brand here, uh, Tim Hortons, that, uh, that I've actually had the pleasure of working with. I didn't do this campaign though. But uh, they're like they're 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 a coffee and donut chain. I call them they're they're competitive. They'd be the equivalent of Dunkin' Donuts in the states. I don't know. They're in a couple of U.S. states and, and whatever. Um, but Tim Hortons, which had strug- which was facing struggling donut sales, formed a partnership with Justin Bieber and created Tim Beads, and, and, and where he created his own flavors of Tim Hortons, and they sold them in the store. And everybody in the country wanted to go to Tim Hortons to get some Tim Beads. And it, and it got to such an extent that Drake and Michael Buble were tweeting about how upset they were that Tim Hortons wasn't collaborating with them because they, because they, because they, they, and they wanted their own, uh, their, their own version of, uh, of, uh, of, of Tim Deems. And they found that, that niche, they found that opportunity because they kept trying and experimenting. And if you don't continue to try and experiment and learn and build muscles, then you're never going to be good at anything. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. I just think that, yeah, okay. No, I'm with you. I I like the idea of like trying and experimenting. I'm just, uh, yes, yes, uh, yes, Talisca. Yes, Talisca, we do call them Timmy (laughs) Hoes. Oh, that's so good. Timmy, Timmy, ho hoes. That, but yeah, so I just, not not the ho hoes, just not not, not the double, just the same. No, I made that up. Yeah, it's going to catch on now. (laughs) No, but I get it. I I guess it's just, I just, I feel like it's, I guess it's the laziness. I guess it's just the, hey, let's just do it to do it, to have a thing. And I feel like some of that stuff is those attempts. But if you can find that, like, that spark, that, that zing, if you can find that, which I, I, and maybe the Bud Light bar in Decentraland was that. I didn't feel like it was, but I also didn't go there because I was like, Psh. and maybe I just need to go to, maybe I need to work on myself, Sean. Maybe that's what it is. But, oh, uh, but, but Tim, but, again, but what, I, but what I'm saying is I'm actually agreeing with you. I don't think the Bud Light Bar in Decentraland is the thing, but, uh, but what if I also told you that Bud, uh, that Budweiser, there was a, there was a horse racing game on, on Ethereum. I don't remember the name, but Budweiser put their Clydesdales in it. And so that, so they created an NFT of their Clydesdales. And put their Clydesdales in it so that they raced their in the virtual horse races just along other horses. Is that like again another attempt to be part of it that isn't just creating a bar and being there? Like there, what my point is, you try multiple things until something until you realize that you've got something that works, and then when you got something that works, you lean into it and you scale it, and you make sure that your investments in your investments while you're trying are relatively small scale but hit with your overall strategy of trying to resonate with your customer. And listen to me, I care about animals. And so if, if virtual horse rating, racing can get rid of regular horse racing, I'm all for it. So I appreciate that. And I do, I do like that. And I didn't know about that. I know about like Pegaxi or I don't know how to pronounce it, 
the ho the horse racing thing and like step in is like a new thing on soul that everybody's flipping out on solana with the running shoes and someone's asking about that today and they're like is this a scam i'm like it's not a scam it's just you know the the the, the currency that you're getting in exchange for running it's just got to drive it's just got to drive some value and as long as there's value then it's great <laughs> Anyway, and, then sorry, Nike, and then Nike's got these shoes, but they're virtual shoes that you can get a vial for that you can put into your shoe and then your shoe, but it's not like a real shoe. And so I feel like such a boomer. I just feel like such a boomer, like with this stuff where I'm like, I don't get it. I get ice poker. The stepping thing though, I, I kind of, kind of see that it's like run to earn. Like you actually have to go out in, in IRL and run, but I also feel anyway. Yeah. It's just uh, it's, it's an interesting space. This metaverse, this metaverse stuff. So, Sean, do you have any plays or things that you're excited about in the world of NFTs, Web3, metaverse, things that that have your interests peaked? So, I mean, other than like, so so uh, full disclosure, Tim, you and I, along with a bunch of other members of the Pull Together community, uh, have an NFT Together group where we, uh, we, we uh, I guess, yeah, have all put some ETH in and are buying speculating on nfts um i highly I, I find that highly enjoyable i have no idea what we're buying or if any of the projects are any good but it's been a really busy experience so i'm excited about that but otherwise um the key thing for nfts and things that, that i love is it's all I, I try to think back down to like what is the utility and why is an end user going to want it and uh going to want it going to get value from it and so the one nft project that i have been following that i think is is super awesome is called club cpg um they were started by silicon valley vcs and it's an nft gated community that gives access to uh you know the, the, you can't, you can't <laughs> buying a buying a club cpg nft right now is about i think the latest the latest price was like 25 or 30 ETH. like it's it's crazy expensive but they give you access to um all of the uh like all of the leaders of Sil all of the leaders of, of Web three from Silicon Valley who are creating deals and investing, and they have and you get access to all of their conversations, all their insights, uh, and yeah, and uh, and now they've created this new thing called Pop, which Tim just shared the link to where that popped up, but um, but uh, it's specifically they're they're building a fund and they're going to start uh, investing and in, and in, in building things. I mean, the, the model is Club CPG is just a, is a legacy name. It was the idea of trying to bring uh, crypto, trying to bring packaged goods into the crypto world. It's just more about innovations within Web3. Uh, I don't know what proof is, Talos guy, but uh, I'll say yes. No, the leaders yeah. of Web3 are not from Silicon Valley. It's the leaders of Web3 in Silicon Valley. There are other yes. leaders of Web3 that are, that are <laughs> way more decentralized. Right. <laughs> like, so there's this. <laughs> There's this this trend I'm seeing that like with with the big tech companies they hired from Ivy League schools and so I didn't go to an Ivy League school school so I'm like Psh. and so I you know I'm I'm like poo poo in that and now I'm seeing a lot of like Web three companies a lot a lot of protocols that hire straight from big tech from Silicon Valley so I'm seeing a lot of people from HubSpot or you know Facebook or Google that are now in leadership in these crypto companies and I didn't work for any of those so I'm like. Psh. So really, Sean, this whole conversation is just unearthing a lot of unde uh, a lot of uh, undealt with emotions and bitterness in my life. So I really, I uh, thanks for talking to me about this. I appreciate it. I was gonna make some sort of joke about Scott, like bringing up old scars, but I had I, I, I'm not witty enough to think of something funny. Okay. So I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so you got uh, you got crypto packaged goods. You have other stuff that you're that you care about. What else? I know you've got others. Like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very high on pool together. Uh, I think that, uh, I think that the marketing working group, uh, although moving slowly, uh, continues to push towards, uh, building out a sustainable, uh, a sustainable marketing and acquisition and customer acquisition model that can help us hit TVL growth that is going to change the game. Um, I think that there's a lot of discussions that need to be had around, um, and, and, and things that are being developed about like one-time prizes. Uh, I don't, I like. But, but I think that I'm super high on pool together. And then the other thing that I find super, super interesting, uh, is, is something called, uh, sim win sports. And, and as a sports fan of any type of sport, I find it super interesting, but they want to bring sports to the metaverse and the way that they, uh, the way that they want to do that is they have franchises and the franchises they're set, they have, that they're selling to owners that are selling for one to $2 million a franchise. 
Uh, and they have a whole list of celebrity owners that, you know, are celebrities. And then each, uh, each team, uh, has a dual hire, hires a general manager and coaches, uh, in the respective sport they play. And then individuals can create NFTs every year, a set number of NFTs, uh, as athletes. And then they can engage in certain activities to, um, to upskill their athletes and make their athletes more valuable. And then the teams uh, go through a draft and draft the athletes onto the teams and then the coaches, and then they go out and play simulations of games with their athletes at their relative rankings. And then the coaches set strategies and they play, it's like real line game simulation, but picking strategies in the games. And, uh, and then there's winners and losers of the games and there's a season and there's a championship. And then they live stream all that data and information and are creating a fantasy and betting markets so that people can actually participate in live sports in the metaverse and people can become individual athletes in the metaverse and sign contracts with teams and, uh, and build compensation from them as teams sell tickets from people to watch and build their own brands. And so it's literally recreating the sporting environment in the metaverse, which I find super, super interesting. You gotta love the creativity. It's just like, I, when you, if you were like, Hey, how would, how would you in, incorporate sports into the metaverse or not into crypto? I'd be like, Oh, we would totally do tickets for NFTs. Like that's like, t I just see that happening. Like I want to go to a Mets game go Mets. And I want to have an NFT of the game that I went to. And that NFT is going to unlock things for me in the park and then, uh, special things while I'm watching games and all that. Like I, I would love that, but this is just, no, let's put it all up, all virtual, like all in the metaverse or all in, you know, like it's the like the entire thing in the metaverse. Yes. Yeah. What, it, so it just keeps going. And, and, and Cookie said it right. Like that's what I'm super excited about is I'm, I'm on the whitelist. I want to mint an NFT and I want to power it up and I want to act as an athlete and go and sign sign a big a big league contract and <laughs> make sure that I can perform and be an all star and <laughs> get compensated that way with my NFTs. And then be super interesting. To... <laughs> yeah, so sorry, let, me ask, let me let me finish with this question, Sean, because we we could talk all day. I know you and me. We we have long talks and. Uh, and just dream dreams and stuff. But like, I, I, where do you, where do people get time for this stuff? Like that, I feel like is the currency of crypto is like attention. Like there are so many things to spend time on. There are so many things to pay attention to. And it sounds like this sim win sports is great, but you got to put so much time into it to like make a team and like be on a team and do this and do that and bet and all this. Like, like, how does one, how does one prioritize? Like, where do you get the time for this stuff? How, how do you navigate managing your schedule in crypto? I manage it, or like, I like, like so, so how do I manage it or how does one manage it? Like, in other words, my, 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 my initial answer is saying you like the Mets, you spend time to go and watch the Mets. Professional athletes spend time building their bodies and honing their skills. If people are invested, it's what they want to do and how they choose to do it. But how do I manage, or is that what you're asking? Or are you asking how do I manage my time between all of these different things that are going on and how do I prioritize where I'm looking at? Yeah, I'm, I'm asking you how you do it so that I, that, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that's how you suggest others do it or, or offer it as a model for someone. That's basically my, the bent of my question. Yeah, I don't know if I would recommend how I would do it to anyone else because I don't, um, I don't, I don't sleep a lot <laughs> and between all of the different projects and work that I've got going on, I get pulled in a lot of directions. And frankly, like I, I feel I, I not, I don't give every, I don't have the time to give everything the hundred percent that it deserves, right? That it deserves. Um, I think it's about generally looking at what setting your objectives long-term and saying, look, is this, a, is this an interest professionally? Am I trying to make money off of this? Is this an interest, uh, uh, um, like hobby wise, am I trying to just find something fun to build my time with and join a community of like-minded peers? Um, and then make the proper time to say, this is where I, this is where I want it. This is how I'm going to invest my time and what I'm going to get out of it. And then make that, that, uh, that cost benefit analysis for everything that you do, because yeah, like every time I talk to someone else in crypto and DeFi and I ask them about projects, there's a new project that's exciting, but I'm also someone who likes to understand it and like 
understand everything before I get in. And so anytime I see something new, I got to spend time thinking about it and figuring it out. And then it's just like, do I want to spend that time figuring it out or not? <laughs> um, and yeah, that's the, I mean, I don't know if I, I don't, it's a no, tough question, it. Tim. I don't have a good answer. No, no, no. I think that, I think that's right. I think, I think you prioritize it based on like, I mean, I do a lot of gut. I do a lot of like, like I like ice poker. It's tanking right now, but I love poker. I love the experience of it. It's fun. I see a lot of potential in it with like world series of poker, that sort of thing. So I get into it and it's like, it, it kind of meets the needs for me. It's the same thing to pull together. Like the community is, is killer. It's smashing. It's, it's, I, I love these people in this group. And so it's really fun for me to stick around and like innovate on the product. And it's fun to build something with a, with a community. So I stick around there, you know, and then, and then yes, you're right. I mean, I have like 27,000 discords that I'm in. I really am only in like four or three. Um, and, and, and you just kind of vote with, with, you vote with your feet. <laughs> Cause if this are in the metaverse, you would vote with your little, your, your little Nike sneakers with the vials in them. That's how you, you vote for what's, what's valuable. So, uh, but dude, Sean, I think we should end it here. Anything else you want to talk about I, that we didn't cover that you want to plug? Go, go Raptors. I think that they, I mean, uh, we'll see how this ages, but they, they, I am, I, I, I am potentially excited that they could be the first team in NBA history to come back from a 3-0 deficit. Uh, go Leafs. They're probably going to make a first round exit. Go Blue Jays. They, uh, they should, uh, they're exciting. I love sports. Dude, you're <laughs> such a, guys. <laughs> you're such a Canadian loyal, lo loyalist. I don't know if that's political <laughs> by saying that, but yeah. <laughs> no, no, the loyalists are technically like, I don't know if you meant that on, on purpose or not, but that was the term that, uh, that the Canadians got when the, the Canadians that wanted to stay right. loyal to the British crown got when, uh, when the U S wanted to revolt and, uh, and fought their yeah. war of independence. Yeah, so, I didn't mean that. I just meant loyal right. Canadians. Yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> so a good double entendre there. But uh, um, but uh, but no. Otherwise, uh, otherwise, anyone in the community that's listening, guys, I, I sincerely value every single one of you and all of the conversations that we've had. I look forward to to many more, and I look forward to hitting that hundred million dollar uh, TVL growth target. Uh, like hundred million dollar a month of TVL growth target together because there's there's so much more to come. Go team, go team. Well, thanks, Sean. Uh, you've been listening. This has been the Pull Together Community Podcast with Tim and Sean. It's been a pleasure, and we'll see you next week, or we'll we'll hear you next week. Thanks, Discord chat. It was, it was bumping in the chat. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening to the Pull Together Community Podcast. You can visit pulltogether.com to deposit. And we'd love to hear what you thought about today's episode. So visit the Pull Together Discord and let us know.